family, you're finding the book of John. John chapter 8, we'll begin to read in verse 30. This morning, I want to speak to you on this subject, freedom that lasts. Freedom that lasts. John chapter 8, we'll begin to read in verse 30. I invite you to stand this morning, all those that can and are able in honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in John chapter 8, begin to read in verse number 30. The Bible says these words. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And they answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. And the slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. Therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Let's pray together. Father, we ask, God, that your spirit would speak to hearts and lives today. God, I pray for the one that is in bondage to sin today. Lord, they've never been set free because they've never truly turned and trusted you to be Lord of their life. God, I pray your spirit will convict them of their sin, Christ's righteousness, judgment that's going to come against them one day as Christ has spoken here if they don't turn and trust Jesus. God, I pray for the one who has been saved, but they've become ensnared again. Uh, like a sow to the mire and a dog to its vomit, they've turned back to the world. And God, I pray they'll, you'll help them to really see what they're living in and what they're eating today. And God, and they'll turn from those things and turn back again to Jesus Christ and be what was played as we were receiving our offering this morning. God, revived in Jesus Christ. God, we pray as we come to a time of invitation, whatever it is you're desiring to do in hearts and lives, it'll be accomplished as we yield to the call of the Spirit today. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Now I invite you to be seated. We're blessed to have the freedom that we have here in our country. Just in the next week or so, we'll be able to exercise one of those freedoms, and it's to vote, to be able to cast our vote into who we feel God is leading us and directing us should be leading in the affairs of government. We have freedom of speech. Uh, I don't know if at times it's like the forefathers intended. It's being stifled at times, and things the Bible says are right. If you seek to say, many today try to label as hate speech, but there still is more freedom than any other country has the opportunity to experience. There's financial freedom. You, you have the opportunity uh, to grow and to prosper, to have a business, to be able to, to develop. Uh, you have that opportunity. That's not the case in all countries where socialism exists and what many, sadly, in our government would hope to bring our country to. But my friend, freedom of speech Political freedom and financial freedom can never disarm death or bring about peace with God. Only Jesus Christ can do that. And while still yet many in our country have political liberty and they have civil liberty, they're still in bondage to sin. They haven't experienced the freedom that only Christ can bring. The freedom described in these verses we read this morning can only come through the life, the words, and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you're here this morning, you've never been saved. I want you to know, friend, you don't have to be in bondage. You don't have to stay that way. If you've turned back to sin, you're a child of God. You've truly been saved. But you don't love Jesus 
the way that you once did. You need revival today. You don't have to stay the way you are. You can arise and come back home to Jesus just like the prodigal son. It really is sad to me through just a lack of discipleship. Most believers really don't know how free they are and the abundant life that Christ has died and wants to give them if they'll only turn and walk in. I want you to notice three truths from this passage this morning. First off, notice the truth believed. The truth believed. Look what the Bible says again in verse number 30. As Jesus spoke these words, many believed in him. Uh, Romans chapter 10, verse number 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Well, the Bible says in verse number 30 that many believed in him. Well, what is it that, what is it that he spoke, and what is it that he said? Well, go back to verse number 12 of John chapter 8. Remember last week as we concluded John chapter 7, we saw many religious people who were blinded by their religion for different reasons just depart, and they went home without Jesus. They went back exactly the way they came. In verse number 1, Jesus went away too. But the very next morning, he rose and went into the temple and began to teach. And certainly the Pharisees and the Sadducees had followed him, the scribes, and they were always seeking to catch him. And they brought in a woman who had been called in the very act of adultery at the moment that adultery was taking place. The Bible doesn't say where the man was. I've always heard and learned in biology, you know, it takes two to tango, but they only brought one of the partners. And so they were going to throw the woman under the bus, as it were, but the man somehow, he got away scot-free. And so here it was. They really didn't want to correct behavior. They just wanted to condemn Jesus and tried to catch him in a point of the law. And Jesus never made light of sin. But I want you to notice, friend, that he said in verse number 11, uh, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. So he certainly said the life that she'd been living was sin, but then he spoke to all those people, verse number 12, and listen, he says, I'm the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. All these religious people were just that. They were walking in darkness. They were blinded by their religion. 1 Corinthians 2, 14, they couldn't see the things of God because they were dead, Ephesians 2 and trespasses and sin. And Jesus, John 3, 7, friend, gives, gives the opportunity to be born again spiritually, to be able to see things that a, a regular person can't see that can only be seen through the Spirit. He says, I'm the light of the world. Uh, verse number 21, then Jesus said to them, I'm going away. You'll seek me, but you're going to die in your sin. And where I go, you can't come. Why? Isaiah 59, 2, because sin separates us from God. And so Jesus told them, I'm going away. You're going to die in your sin where I go. You can't come. Well, the smart alecks that most of the Pharisees and Sadducees were, they thought, well, we're not going to go to hell because we're Jews and we're good. Well, if this guy's going to go to hell, he must kill himself because Jewish teaching believed that if you committed suicide... You went to hell. And can I just pause right there and say that though there are some denominations that teach that, friend, you may find denominations that teach that, but I want you to listen to me. You'll never find a Bible that teaches it. There's nothing. Suicide doesn't condemn your life to hell. It just ends your life early before God wanted it to happen. But nowhere, never, ever, not in any verse of Scripture does the Bible teach that if you commit suicide, you die and go to hell. But that was the tradition of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And so look at what the smart alecks said 
in verse number uh, 22. He says, well, will he kill himself? Because he said, where I go, you cannot come. They said, well, we're certainly not going to go to hell, but he must be going to go to hell. Verse 23, and he said to them, you are from beneath. I'm from above. You're of this world. I'm not of the world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. He told them what they needed to hear. He told them that sin separated them from God. No amount of religion can ever make you right. He came to pay for man's sin debt. He carried every single person's sin debt to the cross. The Bible says he desires for all men to be saved, but people must choose to turn from their sin and to receive Christ by faith. And that's what he was telling them. And then they said to him, verse 25, Who are you? And Jesus said to him, Just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. And he had had told them from the very moment they said, John the Baptist had told them, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is the promised one. This is the one that's going to die on the cross. Christ picked up the same message that John the Baptist had. Repent. You need to turn from the direction you're going to me in saving faith. It's the only hope that you have. Verse number 26. He says, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you. But he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. What did he speak? The word of God. He gave them the word because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Verse number 28, then Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man. uh, John 3, 70, it's just as Moses was lifted up the, the serpent in the wilderness. Jesus said, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Friend, I want to remind you, the cross wasn't a punt. You know, you're watching your favorite football team and they get the fourth down, and they didn't get a first. That wasn't their plan. You know, so they have to punt. It's the last best thing that they can do. The cross wasn't the last best thing that God could do for him. It was his plan from the beginning. It was God's desire, and it was his plan always that Christ would die for the sins of a lost and dying world. He says, when, when you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as the Father has taught me, I speak these things, and he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. What an example. That's why the Apostle Paul could say in Philippians 2, 5, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also. And so the Bible says then in verse number 30, as he spoke these words, as he spoke all of these words that we've just, we've just read and, and gone through, the Bible says that many believed in him. That, and, and that wasn't just a mental uh, assent. That is, they believed in their heart. It's a commitment, not just intellectual understanding. When the Bible here is talking about believing in Jesus Christ, friend, if I've, as I've said many times, you can't meet anybody that is true blue, born in East Tennessee, born and reared here in this culture, it's hard to find anybody that doesn't believe that Jesus is God's son. It's part of our culture. We're we're born up and brought up that way to believe that there is a holy God. His son is Jesus Christ. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. And there's a Bible that tells all these things. 
Most people true to the South believe that here. But here's the difference. They've never received it here. They believe it in their head, but they've never turned from sin and believed that they've received Christ. It's more than just an intellectual understanding. It's a commitment to Christ. Look what the Bible says in verse number 31. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him. I want to remind you again, the book of James says, every demon in hell believes the plan of salvation. They believe Jesus is God's son and that he died on the cross and he rose again. But they've never received Christ to be Lord of their life. And so Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, who trusted him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. What's he saying in verse number 31? That true faith yields fruit. There's, there's going to be evidence. True faith always gives, always gives evidence that there's, that there's life. Um, our seniors went, uh, my kids went, uh, several of you have gone on vacation and you brought back evidence. In the fall, people love to go to apple orchards. And they love, to, it's really not for the apples. I figured you just want the pie and the bread. You know, you think, I mean, really, you say, we're going to buy apples. No, you're not. You're going to get the pie. And, and so, but the reason you go, friend, is because there are apples there. There's fruit. No one's ever said, you know, we're going to the most unique orchard this year. Not a leaf on a tree. Um, you know, there, it's just all twigs and deadness. We're just so excited to go to this apple orchard. No one would do that because there's not any fruit. There's no evidence of life. And Jesus said, when you've got real saving faith, when you truly believe not just intellectually in him, but on him, whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When you've trusted Christ to be Lord of your life, you've believed in who he is and on him, the Bible says there's something supernatural that happens. John 3, 7, you're born again. And that life begins to bear fruit over time. Jesus said to those Jews, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. That word abide literally means to continue in. It means it's not just an, an emotional one-time thing. And when I'm going to make this statement, somebody's going to come to your mind. Uh, I've been at this church for six years, but I've been a part of other churches. Many of you have. We're so glad to have visitors that are coming to our church and new people who haven't been here in the past six years. But if you've ever been a part of a church for any amount of time, you saw somebody whose life might have gotten a little difficult. They're going through some hardship and some challenges. And then all of a sudden, one Sunday during the invitation, they came forward. And they said, you know, I want to be saved. I'm, I'm trusting Christ. And I mean, friend, it was like you poured gas on a brush fire. They were just blazing with emotion. Every time the doors were open, man, they were here. They were in. They wanted to serve, and they wanted to do everything. They were so excited. And that continued for about two or three weeks. And then one day somebody said, well, has anybody seen so-and-so? I, I didn't see him last week. And you're like, well, you know, I think they went on vacation. Oh, well, they'll be back. And then you saw them about two or three weeks later. And then, you know, you might see them once or twice. And then all of a sudden, it just becomes, hey, whatever happened to so-and-so? Well, I, you know, I, I saw them at, down at the grocery store. They're doing fine. You know, they can come and go at the grocery store. Just like I saw them walking into the doctor's office. And, boy, they look pretty able to me. Um, but where are they? They've gone back to the world. 
What happened? They didn't continue on with Jesus. And there's some would say, well, I guess they lost their salvation. Friend, don't you listen to me. I've never lost a million dollars. You want to know why? I never had a million dollars. And my friend, you can't lose what you never had. That person didn't lose salvation. They never had it. Jesus says right here, my friend, to those of you, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. It's not that you're, you're going to be my disciples if you continue on. If you're really my disciple, then you will continue on. Some of, if you just keep on and on, you're my disciples. No, he says, if you've really committed your life to me, he says, then you're going to abide. If there's going to be evidence, there's going to be, and friend, that doesn't mean there's not going to be up times and down times. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be difficulties that address our faith. It is a daily grind. Ephesians 6, it is spiritual warfare. Somebody say amen. It's work. But my friend, when you have trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life, you've trusted him. And there's real life. There's real life. Jesus says that's one of the, the marks. First John bears that out. When there is a, a presence of present continuous sin. Wake up in sin, go to bed in sin. The same sin over and over. But First John says, you don't belong to God. I didn't say that. God said that. Jesus said the real evidence is, if you're my disciples, is you, you continue in my word. You abide in it, and it abides in you. Not a faith based on convenience, but a faith that is based on commitment and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why in John chapter 6, verse 66, Christ really began to lay out what the life of a disciple looked like. Not a church member. I'll submit to you again, my friend. I believe this with all my... I didn't see this 20 years ago. Buddy, I see it now. The reason our country's in the shape that it's in is because the church has failed to live on mission. And one of the reasons the church has failed to live on mission is this. The church has trained people how to be good church members and not followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't have to play church. Just play church. And then go live for me the rest of the week and fake it, friend. That's not a real disciple of Jesus Christ. It's not a faith that's based on commitment and surrender. And so when Jesus laid out what the life of a real disciple looks like, that's why in John chapter 6, verse 66, the Bible says many of his disciples who had labeled themselves that, they followed him no more. He said, man, we were just here for the biscuits and the show. We don't, we don't, we don't, we don't want all of these things that you're saying. He says, you are my disciple indeed. He says, indeed, for a certain, for, for, for a surety, you're, you belong to me. You are my follower, a disciple, a learner, and a follower of Jesus Christ. My friend, do you delight in learning about Jesus? When you hear the words, please take your Bibles, do you want to throw up? A lot of people do. I did a revival at the church one time. Friend, I'm telling you, they were passing babies like beach balls, shouting, jumping pews, hollering. Knew, listen, they didn't even pick up the books. They knew every song that wrote. Knew every song. But when I said these words, friend, I'm telling you, friend, the spirit went out of the church. I mean, you, listen, you couldn't have popped enough tires to hear air squeal like the set. When I said these words, Please take your Bibles. Pew! 
They loved the show. They loved the emotion. But they didn't want to hear the truth of God's Word. A true disciple is a learner of Jesus Christ. Friend, you'll never learn about Jesus apart from this book. And you're really not a disciple, friend, if you don't do what's in the book. Matthew 28, 19 through 20, teaching them to observe. Jesus says, all things whatsoever I've commanded. Not just teaching, but teaching people to be doers of the word. And James says, my friend, if we don't do the word, if we're just hearers only and we don't do it, we deceive ourselves. That's the part of the James, James chapter 1 that's rarely spoke or talked about. The self-deception of believing that just learning is enough. It's, the, the benefit comes when you do God's word. When you do it, he said, then you're my disciple. So we see truth believed. Second, I want you to notice now, the hearts deceive. There was truth that was believed. Some people grabbed hold. They turned and they received. But some were deceived. Look, look what the Bible says. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. He said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So several in the crowd had received, but many, they, came, they, were, they were deceived. He says, You're going to know truth, and then that truth is going to set you free. And he was talking about spiritually. You're going to be set free from the condemnation of death. You're going to be set free from what sin does to your life. Not only spiritually, but physically. Physically. Uh, you know, that the Holy Spirit makes a way for us to escape all temptations. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Anything that God desires for you to do, friend, you can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. He says, you, you will know the truth. The truth shall make you free. Now, now listen to the, to the spiritual pride. Then they answered, look at your Bibles, verse 33. Then they answered him, we're Abraham's descendants. And we've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you'll be made free? Well, what was that little 400-year vacation in Egypt that they had from Joseph to, to Moses? Nobody, I mean, did they just make bricks and bitter bondage because that's what they wanted to do um what about the 70 year vacation we're reading about we just finished where they were carried off by nebuchadnezzar to babylon but it was only through cyrus that they were allowed to come back with that first ministry of zerubbabel what was that for 70 years uh, and and present day i mean was rome you know their their new friend that just married into the family they, they weren't in bondage to anyone. Friend, listen, that's what pride does. It robs you of seeing truth. Pride had blinded them to the truth before them. Proverbs 16, 18 says, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. Friend, I want to tell you something. No one ever gets saved until they get lost. Until they get lost. You, you just won't. You'll never be saved from your sin until you first get lost. And I've submitted to you, and I believe with all my heart, that's one of the problems that we've got here in the South. We, we, we've raised people to be church members, and they're literally somehow in their mind, they think they're born saved. That somehow, just because they're attached to the church, and their daddy was a deacon, and their mom worked in VBS or in WMU, that, that everything's okay in their life, and it's not. All have sinned. And all need a Savior. 
And you've got to see that. You don't listen. And I'll tell you, friend, we can't manipulate that enough. We can turn the heat up this morning, and I can walk up and down the aisle with a red coal lantern and drag chains and say, you know, that's the way it's going to be in hell, and it won't do anything for you. The Holy Spirit of God has to convict you. It's a work of the Spirit. But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word, and you've got to hear that you have sinned. All have sinned. You've got to realize that. But they didn't want to. They thought because they were religiously okay with, you know, that they were the Jews, that everything was, everything was fine. We're, we're Abraham's descendants. We're, we're, we're good, God-fearing southern people who believe in Jesus, that he's God's son, and everything's going to be fine. That's the literal translation into today's vernacular where we live. So what do I need to be safer? I'm as good as old so-and-so. Have you ever heard that before? You know, and that church is full of hypocrites. I'm better than that guy. Well, you probably are. But if you've never been saved, you're going to die and go to hell with him. I've always asked people that. You know, and they say, you know, I, I don't go to church because there's hypocrites down there. Well, Jesus had 12 apostles decide one out of the 12 was faking it. You know, so you do the math. One out of 12 in church, it's a whole lot more than that. But you know, you got a choice. You can come to church, be saved, and endure hypocrites now, or you can die, go to hell, and spend all eternity with them. Which sounds better to you? But you've got to get lost before you can get saved. You've got to believe that you have a need. You've got to spit out your pride and see who you are in the Word of God. Pride had blinded them to truth. Pride had blinded them. So why, why do we need freedom? I hear, I, I hear that from people all the time. Well, you know, preacher, what, what do I need with Jesus Christ? I've made it all these years without Him. My friend, it's only by His grace you can still draw your breath. Everything you are and everything you have has come through the long-suffering hand of God who in His grace sent Christ to die for you and in His mercy has allowed you to keep living that He might save your wicked soul. Grace and mercy. That's why you need Jesus because you're going to die and go to hell if you don't turn and receive Him. Not be a good church member, not join the church, not give. It's not about being baptized. It's first. It's first about being born again. Never, never in bondage. Pride robs you, listen, of a teachable spirit. Now, I want you to listen to me this morning, church. It can happen in the life of a believer. You can get to a place you can become so prideful because someone stubs your toe or you get your feelings hurt Heaven's sakes, don't get me off on church hurt this morning, but the countryside is littered with people who once served God, but now they've stopped because they got their feelings hurt at church. Friend, if I'd stopped serving God because I got my feelings hurt, I'd have stopped the first day I stopped, started serving. I mean, people will drive you nuts. I had an old preacher tell me when I first announced my call to preach, he said, son, you're going to find out early. He said, ministry is a privilege from God. It's such a blessing, and it would even be more of a joy if it weren't for people. And I've always believed that. I'm just kidding. But people drive you nuts in the church. Say amen. But friend, Christ will never let you down. 
You're not committed to people. We're not following people. We're not watching people. We're following Jesus Christ. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never let you down. You're not always going to understand His ways. You're not always going to understand the direction He's leading you. But He'll lead you home. He'll lead you home. He'll never fail you. Psalm 51 verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God. Thou, thou will not despise this. You're never going to know God and know the truth of His Word and grow Christ without a broken spirit. If you've got this haughty spirit of somehow, you know, God needs me and the church needs me, you, friend, listen, I want to let you in on a little secret. God doesn't need anyone. He is completely and totally self-sufficient. It is without Him that we can do nothing. It's without Him. You've got to have a broken spirit. These were religious people who Satan had convinced that they were okay because they were good, God-fearing people who attended church and did church stuff. And it sickens me that there are churches not only in our community but everywhere that even without saying it, friend, they teach the same kind of garbage. That just be attached to the church and everything's going to be okay. It's not okay. You can sit on one of those pews until you lay in the casket right in front of this pulpit. And if you don't trust Jesus Christ, your, soul, your body will be here, but your soul will be in hell. You've got to turn and receive Christ. For that to happen, friend, you've got to have a teachable spirit. Their hearts were deceived. They were deceived. They were lost and they were enslaved. And hell's going to be full of people that Satan deceived. John 10, 10. The thief comes but to steal, to kill, and to destroy. That's what he does with religion. Jesus says, but I've come that you might have life and life more abundantly. You may be here this morning or listening by internet later. And you're one of these, I see these tags on these cars. I've said this before, but I haven't said it in a while. I saw one just the other day. You, you ever seen a tag on someone's car that says, you know, life's good? You seen those? Life is good. You seen those? Well, your life may be just good enough compared to everybody else. Well, friend, I'll ask you a question. Which is better, good, look at me, or best? Which sounds better to you, good or best? Jesus says, I've come to you, might have life and life more abundantly. Friend, that is best. And if you want to be deceived and just drift along with Satan's good, which isn't good, he's just deceiving you in that, hell's where you'll go. As a child of God, you're never going to experience, you're going to go to heaven, but just so as by fire. When it comes to the judgment seat of Christ, all you're going to have to lay on the altar is all the things that you wanted to do and the things that you planned for your life. And you're going to miss out on all the abundance that Jesus had, that he wanted to live through you. Remember, the successful Christian life is not you living for Jesus. It's you surrendered to him and him living his life through you. Through you. So there were hearts that were deceived. Third this morning, notice this, the freedom that was received. The freedom that was received. The Bible says again in verse number 32, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. That word know, again, it's not an intellectual experience it's to know by experience. To know by experience. Um, when, I was, uh, when I was a boy, I had read about um, the beach. 
And then one time my parents took me to the beach, and I knew about it then from experience. And that one time was good enough for the rest of my life. If I never had to go back. I believe often there's sand in hell. There's got to be. It's just, I don't like the beach. But I'd read about the beach, but then I went and personally experienced the beach, and then I knew, I knew about it, but then my feet and my hands knew about it. And then everywhere, because sand was everywhere. I knew it by experience. Listen, friend, to know the truth is not just to know it. It's to know by experience. To be, to, to be free. You shall know the truth by experience. And then that truth that you, that you experience, it's going to make you free. It's going to make you free in Jesus Christ. The truth of Scripture that w- will, will never affect my life until I put it into practice. Hell's going to be full of people that knew how to be saved, but they never put it into, they never repented and trusted Christ. Many of you here this morning, you may know that God wants to do something in your life. He's been impressing that upon you. He's calling you and drawing you deeper into His will, but you haven't submitted to it. And so you, you, don't, you know what it is, but you don't know what it is. You don't know what it is. You haven't walked, your feet don't know what it is. They haven't walked in it. That's the difference. Truth. Living word, Jesus Christ, and the written word that he spoke. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. You shall know the living word, Jesus, and his written word, John 14, 6. I am the way. I am the what? Truth. I am the life. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Well, what, what is it? free me from? What does Jesus set me free from? What does his word set me free from? What sets me free from fear? 2 Timothy 1 7. Friend, I'm telling you, we've got a lot to be afraid of in the world in which we're living. Political environment, the economy, leaders themselves that are ruling, the, the things that they keep pushing that they want to do to our country, those are enough things to sit down. Friend, I mean, we've been preaching through, uh, we just started on Wednesdays, we're teaching through the book of Ezra. And we just saw that the foundation had been laid in Ezra chapter 3. And the latter part of it, the older generation who'd once saw the former glory of the temple that had been burned down by Nebuchadnezzar, the younger generation, man, they just shouted and cheered because there was a new beginning. But don't miss this. The older generation, they started crying because they remembered what it used to look like. And they're saying, listen... I'm only 49 years old, but I remember, friend, that America I remembered back in the 80s, it's not the America we're living in right now. And some of you have got a little more snow on the roof than I do. You really remember back that the America back in the 50s and 60s, it's not the America that's here now. And it's enough just to sit down and cry and to be fearful about the, the future. But, friend, listen, the truth of God's Word sets me free from that. 2 Timothy 1, 7, God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. What's that sound mind? A mind that's not being torn apart by fear and doubt and worry because we know we're burdened, but we know, friend, listen, there is a holy God in heaven that is sovereign and everything that comes into our life passes through his hands. He's going to lead us home. He's going to take care of us, free from self. Uh, you know, the flesh. Listen, when you got saved, you kept, you, your sin debt was paid for, but you kept something that's going to be with you till you step into the presence of Christ, and that's you. That's self. 
thanks be to God, friend, the Holy Spirit frees us from that. Ephesians 5, 18, be not drunk with wine or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Jesus gives us victory over the flesh. I hear people say, well, I've got the gene. You know, it's just in my family. Well, friend, I'm glad to say, John 3, 7, it's in my family to be free from that. It may be in the old family that I was born into, all of these sinful temptations, but I've been adopted into a new family. And in that family, friend, I can be set free from the old man. You can be set free from self. Set free from people. Uh, so many people live just worrying to death what other people think about them, trying to make everybody happy. Listen, friend, the truth of God's Word sets you free from that. Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. how? Love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And listen to me, you won't care what anybody else thinks about it. What I've found is this. Sometimes as a disciple, when you're really worried to death what everybody thinks, you're probably, you know, starting to doubt the direction that you're going in your life, that you're having to convince everybody that the direction you're going is the right way. But when you really love Jesus with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you're going to follow him, and you're going to know that you are going the right way, and you don't care what anybody else thinks. You only care what Jesus thinks. But most of all, friend, all of those other freedoms, they don't pale in comparison to what Jesus most of all sets us free from, and that is sin. From sin's penalty. Look at verse number 34. Then, so, verse 32, Jesus said, You shall know the truth, the truth shall make you free. They began, because of their blindness, to say, We're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? And Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin. You're a slave to it because of the flesh. And the slave does not abide in the house forever, but the son abides forever. That's what he was trying to help them to see. Your religion doesn't set you free. I set you free from sin's grip on you. It's penalty, a separation from God in hell. It's possession. You don't have to be a slave to it now. But praise be to God, friend, one day we're going to be set free from its presence. Penalty, possession, and presence. We're going to shell out of this place one day. And it's not just goodbye, farewell, sweet hour of prayer. It is goodbye, farewell, horrible life of sin. I'm going to be with Jesus, no more devil. It's one of the beauties of heaven. We'll never have spiritual temptation again. Verse 36, therefore, if the Son makes you free, you're free indeed. You're free indeed. He says, if the Son, if Jesus Christ sets you free spiritually, you are free indeed. Friend, I hope it never happens, but China may overrun our country, and, you know, we may not be free anymore one day. Canada and Mexico could get together somehow and maybe overrun our country. Uh, Britain could get with somebody, and Germany could get with somebody. Russia could try to get with somebody, and we might lose all our freedom. It's possible. It can happen. But I'll tell you something man can never do. They can never take away the spiritual freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. But listen, look at me. It's not automatic. It's not automatic. He offered it to these people, but they had to choose and to believe. Verse 30, as he spoke these words, many believed in him. They had a choice. I've shared this illustration Years ago, but listen, 
1830, a man by the name of George Wilson. He, with another friend of his, robbed a post office, which is a federal offense. Well, they were a lot tougher on crime then than they are now. And they condemned both of them to death. They gave him the death sentence for robbing a post office. Well, George Wilson had some friends who were higher up. They began to lobby and petition. His poor buddy, he didn't know anybody. And so he was executed. They hung him. Well, George Wilson, he knew some people that knew some people who knew some people that knew President Andrew Jackson. And they went and petitioned President Jackson to pardon George Wilson for the crime that he had committed with his friend of robbing a post office of which he had been tried and sentenced to be hung because of what he had done. Well, the pardon was written. The pardon was taken. It was brought to George Wilson. And they shared it with him. They said, George, we've got good news. You don't have to be hung. You don't have to die. You've been pardoned. And he did something that no one had ever done in history before. He refused the pardon. He said, I won't receive it. Well, they didn't know what to do. The warden of the prison didn't know what to do. The, the, the attorney general didn't know what to do. The governor didn't know what to do. The president didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. So it went all the way to the Supreme Court. And it was Chief Justice Marshall who was over the Supreme Court who wrote down this opinion. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. Therefore, George Wilson must be hanged. He was guilty. He had been pardoned. But he wouldn't receive the pardon, and he died. I want you to look at me this morning. If you've never received Jesus Christ to be Lord of life, you are guilty in your sin today. Jesus died on the cross, friend. He took your whipping. He took your place. He took the agony and shame. He carried you, as Ashley saying, to the cross. All your sin, past, present, and future, so that you don't have to die and go to hell. You've been pardoned. But you've got to receive it. And if you will not turn from your sin and receive God's pardon, listen to me. I tell you this with a broken heart. You'll die and go to hell. You don't have to. God loves you. He sent Christ to die for you. Choose to turn from your sin and experience freedom that lasts forever, but you'll only find it in Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking around. I ask you a question. Would you be honest with me this morning? If you died today, are you 100% certain that you'd go to heaven? 100% certain if you died today, you'd go to heaven. Can I ask you secondly, what do you base that certainty on? Is there a moment in your life where you've repented of sin? By faith, you've trusted Jesus to be Lord of your life? Is there a moment where you've done that? There's never been that moment, friend. You've not been saved. You've not been forgiven. You've not experienced that freedom. But the Bible says, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Romans chapter 10, verse 13. That's you. That's me. That's anybody who's guilty in their sin, and all are. 
Would you not trust Jesus to be Lord of your life today? Would you not believe that he died on the cross for you? He took your place. God rose him from the dead. He wants to come live in your heart in the person of the Holy Spirit and be the best friend that you've ever had. Would you not come this morning in simple faith? Would you not just tell him so right now in a simple prayer of faith, just like this, silently where you sit this morning? Would you not pray this way? Say, God, forgive me a sinner. I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose from the grave. And I turn from my sin today. And I receive Jesus to be Lord of my life. As best as I know how, I'm asking you, God, to forgive me and to save me and to be Lord of me. Now take me and make me into the man and woman you want me to be. Thank you for this freedom and for the abundant life that you're going to lead me into as I follow you. That's my prayer. Did you pray that? Did you mean it? In just a moment, they're going to sing. We're going to stand our feet and when I, after I pray here in just a moment. Our heads are going to be bowed. Our eyes are going to be closed. If you prayed that prayer, you trusted Christ. I invite you to make your way forward so I can encourage you in what God wants to do next in your life. Child of God, are you still living in that freedom you once experienced? Or have you turned back to the old life? Oh, turn back to him today. Experience that revived freedom that only Jesus can give when he touches your life and gives you a brand new start. Whatever it is that separated you from Jesus today positionally, you're still saved. But you're not walking with him. You're not living for him. Won't you turn from it today? Lay it at his feet. Leave with a fresh commitment to serve him, to learn about him, and to tell others about him in these days. Oh, God, we thank you for the freedom that we have in you. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will do what I can't do. That's to convict of sin, Christ's righteousness, the judgment that's going to come. And God, I pray that men and women in this place today, if they haven't already, will choose to trust Jesus to be Lord of their life and experience freedom they can't find anywhere else. I pray for Christians, God who are out of fellowship with you, I pray they'll be set free from the misery, the misery of the life that is that's not living for Christ. And they'll leave with joy unspeakable as you restore to them today the joy of your holy salvation. That's our prayer. God, you may be leading other people today to join our church family, to link their life, however this church receives members, to, to help us, to be workers in the field. Speak your will to us. And I pray we'll be obedient. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's reverently stand to our feet. Heads are bowed.